Welcome to the Speaking Ball. Well, you know, a situation like this, it's hard to tell good guys from the bad guys. I mean, they're all Indians. There's a militant group operating on the reservation. Not enough. I'm a warrior. Hello, welcome back to the podcast. This is the second time I've tried to start it. I forgot to turn off my phone and it went off. And it upset me greatly. There's no need to be upset. But darn, man, I so I got, you know, I got one friggin' job here to just to manage, you know, this little podcast we're doing out here and uh should have turned off my phone. Anyways, how's everybody been? Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a minute. It's been actually, I think, a couple months, which is more than a minute. I don't know how many minutes are in a month, but probably a lot. Let's try to do the math in our heads right now. There's 60 minutes in an hour. It's 24 hours in a day, which is like, okay, so it would be um, 1,200. Brings us to two, 20 hours, 1,200 minutes, and then... Divide that by four is five, so that would be um, seventeen hundred minutes, maybe. No, that doesn't make sense. Because if twelve hours is, uh, wait a minute, what did I say? What the fuck am I talking about? No, 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 I'm stupid. No, wait, ten hours. Okay, so here's how I did this. I was like, oh, like okay, if I just split this into tens and then do the four part, it'll be easy. So, 10, uh, 10 times 60, obviously, would be uh, 600, right? So, if you do that twice, boom, 1,200 minutes. Everybody's your friend. But then you got to do the four, which is where, uh, you know, things can get a little fucky with the old brain. It's not as, not as easy for old speaking bull here to, to do them. To do the math down. Okay. Uh, let me see. I'm not even thinking about it right now. I'm more thinking about how to t- say something. Was this a good time to do a podcast? I don't know. I've got other things to do, though. I've got a backup plan. Today I've got one of my um, esteemed professors, Dr. Johan. I call him Dr. Johan because I always forget how to pronounce his last name, which is my fault. No, it's not his. So I'm sorry. But what I did... So when I interviewed him, which didn't happen today, which doesn't really matter because I'm releasing it all on the same day, so it might as well be today, but this was recorded about a couple days after I talked to the to the man there and I made him introduce himself. Well, I didn't make him, but I said, hey, introduce yourself, because I, I can't remember sometimes what people's, all, all their accreditations are. I'm the associate professor for the, this thing and this and that, and uh... I specialize in philosophy after Hegel. Something like that. I don't know. It's cool as fuck, man. Like, I mean, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any real great sort of accolades, I guess. And I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I can't even figure out how many minutes are in a month. I, <laughs> I got stopped on the how many minutes are in 24 hours. No, wait, we're going back to that. All right, 1,200 minutes brings us to 20 hours. Remember this, Okay. So what is 1,200? How many times does 1,200 go into 20, right? And that's, that's we could do that, and then it'll give us the 1, and then we can multiply that by 4. I don't know. It'd be like 0.8 maybe or something? I don't know. Because 12, 12 going to 20 less than once. 
can you reduce that down? I guess that's like um, 12 into 20 is the same as, I don't fucking know. What's half of 12 and 20? Half of 12 is six, six, 10. How many times does six go into 10? Well, 1.4 something probably, right? Wait, no, no, no. 1.6. 1.5 would be 9. Alright, so probably 1.7, I guess. So 1.7 times 4 is um, 4 times. 4, 4. Um, no, 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 because that's, that's stupid. It's more than that. It'd be... Um, So, uh, four times one point seven, right? You'd have the four times seven. I could just do it in my head. Four points. Four times one point um, seven, eight, two, four, one, six point two. Right. So six point two is uh, what the fuck. Be 600 minutes maybe? No. 60 minutes? What am I doing? How did I get here? This doesn't make sense. <laughs> you see, this is uh, probably should be embarrassing, I guess, if you cared about math, but I don't care. I used to be good at this, though. Or I used to think, at least I was more excited to figure this shit out. Now it just seems like work to me to figure out math. It's fun, though, I guess. Maybe there's a bit of frustration there. Frustration. Sean Connery is frustrated. Sean Connery is frustrated because his trailer is cold. I was not great, but again, I don't care. Impressions, math, I'll be bad at everything. Right in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm drinking coffee and I'm doing an okay job at that. Although I am wearing a dark sweater, so you, I don't know. I don't think I've spilt anything on my sweater, but we'll never know. Now, when I'm wearing white t-shirts, that's uh, that's always a good way to tell where my coordination is going to be at for the day. Or maybe somebody else's, because sometimes they don't put the lid on the old coffee thing, right? But that's not really an excuse, because at this point in the game, if you've been buying coffee for any amount of time, you know you got to check that lid. You can't be out here just drinking it. Oh, yeah, sure, Marge or Steven. I'll just trust that you put that lid on. Probably take a big old sip of that while I'm driving. No, man, you're going to be like, this thing look all right? Yeah, I mean, there's probably, probably more than, uh, I'd say probably eight times out of ten it's right. Seven times out of ten, perhaps. I make my own coffee a lot when I go to the old Universite. I mean, that's either they got a Tim Hortons there and a Starbucks, but that's those lines, man. Like, I don't know how much time you have between class. I guess that's just what time it is for you. You're just like, oh, I've got enough time to sit for 20 minutes in this line. I don't. So I take my, uh, take my behind over to the little store there the Union Market they got a little coffee station which they changed the setup they don't know why they had this cool like 
they had the counter there and it had all enough enough for like two or three of us to make our coffee at once. It was all set up nice and then they renovated it. Renovated it. They renovated it and uh, they put everything in this like condensed against the wall and there's like there's enough room for everything but there's no station for us to make our coffee so half the time we're pouring it and trying to make it and we're blocking somebody else off from the coffee things. I don't know man. Anyways. So like Let's do it this way, all right? So if there was uh, wait, 600 minutes, 600 minutes, 1200, if we did half of that, that'd be, that'd be three, a little less two. So like maybe 250 or something, I don't know. Let's just say there's like 1500. Hey, watch this, I'll do something crazy now. Hey Siri. How many minutes are in 24 hours? 24 hours is 1,440 minutes. Hey! Well, if I'm going to do that, why, why do that? Hey Siri, how many minutes are in a month? One month is 43,829.1 minutes. How many minutes are in... T oh, wait, I got to say hey Siri again. We're not... This isn't a real person. <laughs> hey Siri. How many minutes are in two months? Two months is 87,658.2 minutes. So there you go. Haven't did a podcast in 87,000 minutes. Whatever she said. So I wasn't getting to that shit. I don't know what the fuck I thought I was doing. I, <laughs> I might as well have just uh, did that from the beginning. But hey, we all had fun learning that I wasn't good at math, didn't we? I did. I I'm drinking my coffee though again as I say and uh, this is my security blanket in life so yeah anyways um, yeah got uh, Dr. Johan coming on here when I say coming on I already spoke to him there and we had a conversation and what we were going to talk about is uh, this author there that has uh, he does a lot of well he used to be a 20th century author and um, I do a little bit more introduction there I'm sure but again I don't know what the hell I said because it was uh, a couple days ago and I just tried to give him as much space to talk as possible and uh, I probably sound like a moron. Usually that's what happens when I talk to people who are smarter than myself, which is not hard to do because you could basically close your eyes, spin around, throw a rock and hit you know, a mailbox smarter than myself. But I really try to do a better job of not distracting from the conversation with it, you know, so... He, uh, he did a great job, and again, I'm, I'm so thankful for his time. Um, so, I guess at some point, uh, I'll have to turn that over to the pre-recording. It's probably going to sound different from this. It's going to be one of those things where it's like, oh, it's very noticeably different. The uh, audio production. Maybe I could fix that a little bit in the post, as they say. But <sighs> I don't know. It was in a podcast booth, though, and it had a pretty good mic, so I imagine it was good. Maybe this is the quality that will sound worse, right? And the other one will sound like, oh, man, why don't you make it sound like that all the time? Well, because I'm not renting out a podcast booth at the... Not renting out, but signing out. They don't make you pay anything. Although, it was a pain in the ass, because they're all like, yo, you got to sign into your... Like, they gave you the computer, it's a little booth, it's all cool. But then you got to sign into your student account to use it no big problem right well 
I've been school like online for two years, so everything is all saved in my my Chrome browser, right? In case anybody wants to try to hack into my shit, but I mean, go ahead if you want to look at my grades. Maybe submit a paper for me. Um, but it's all saved. I didn't. I don't remember which one I used because I know that I switched it one time. It's case sent. You know, it's one of those things where you you're you know you're out somewhere else and like you you mostly rely. You kind of generally know you, what you're, you're like. Oh, this should be my password, right? But you fucking forgot to. You know that this particular one. You know you forgot to put in a exclamation point or you know a capital letter or something, right? So I don't know. I got locked out of it of my account anyway so thankfully the old doctor there was able to to save the day because uh we both only had a limited time before class started so anyways we got it done it was a pretty good conversation and um again a little weird being out of my comfort zone i'm usually just in my own studio here just talking to people you know and being uh, being away there and being like doing a podcast not really when i want to do it because i'm not super awake in the morning Let's be honest. I'm I'm am there, but I'm not. You know, it takes a little bit longer. I feel like for I don't know for the old brain to 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 warm up, I guess. So, but that's what it was. We had to. We only had a little bit of time, so I'm not sure. I haven't listened to it. Don't remember what I said. So, we'll have to see how that went there. But I remember him having some great things to say, and me just trying to trying to facilitate it that's how i remember it i maybe i interrupted him every five minutes fuck i don't know probably christ that's why i have to put eight plus 18 every time i fucking do this uh podcast thing here because i'm explicit oh dude this is what we're gonna talk about um i got published right so like magazine salon.com cultural taxidermy we've spoke about this on the podcast before I'm not sure if any of you recall I've brought it up a couple times where mascots are um, cultural taxidermy I'm so tired of saying it but I feel like this is going to be part of my career because I've decided to write a book about it and I have until October 31st to get my first few chapters in and I should be able to do that but I was pretty overly confident about what it would take to first like rewrite my academic paper about cultural taxidermy and translate that to you know an article for a magazine it was a lot more work than than i thought it was going to be because academics got a certain tone right obviously versus like something in a magazine which is meant for a different type of audience and again this will be this book will be uh non-fiction and uh referenced and hopefully use in academia in some respect to, to teach the concept. This is what I'm, this is what I'm hoping, right? <clears throat> and uh, I don't care about getting any recognition for that. Um, I really just want the concept to, to be mobilized and uh, to get some, get some of that money for it. Because, uh, hell yeah. But it's going to take a bit of, Bit of a push there, probably a little bit more. Like I don't know, they want three chapters. I mean, I, they I could do. They want a couple page description. They want blah blah blah. Well, I shouldn't say blah blah blah. This is probably explain. They want a couple page description of the concept or the book or whatever. They want a chapter table of contents and a chapter outline. So 
I'm assuming that's going to be similar to what we do in some history classes when we do bibliographies, do something called an annotated bibliography, which is uh, when you cite your work with the references on the references page, each link you use, a, you have a little explanation of why you chose that link, right? Or why you chose the specific reference. And I imagine that will be somewhere, something similar in terms of structure where I'll have, hey, here's this chapter, this is what this is about. So I'm hoping that will be uh, doable, I guess. When I say doable, it'll be doable, but I mean, I don't have a lot of time. I mean, it's gonna be the first three chapters are gonna be difficult to, not difficult to write, but time consuming to write. Cause you don't wanna, I mean, I've got like four versions of this. I've got the original sort of thoughts when I was putting everything together, which is sort of like a mixture of different, you know, ideas and streams of consciousness. And we have, um, I guess a different sort of version of that as well, I guess, because that's all one document, but that's when I was actually researching things and had different stuff that I was eventually gonna use for the academic paper. And then I had the proposal and then I had the academic paper and then I uh, wrote a proposal for the magazine, which is a different thing, right? Because they want you to include different stuff when you're doing a freelance submission. So it's almost like you write a, I guess, a general synopsis of it. And this book shit is going to be no damn different. But it was kind of cool to see that there, you know, when you went to the submission submissions page of this publisher, that they said, you know, we are accepting submissions because, gosh, man, there's so many people who just aren't. And you need a literary agent and, you know, literary agent. I feel like I talk weird sometimes. And that's hard to get, right? Because they apparently, apparently don't uh, take submissions themselves, right? So they got to find your work. And, like, I don't know how much time these people spend finding work. They probably have work that they find. I'm using air quotes. You can't see it. So I'm telling you. And their lives, that's not really organic anyways. I'm sure there's, you know, people are like, oh, that's, you know, Lauren Stevenson, and she's an editor. I'm just going to pretend randomly to, you know, maybe like, I don't know, maybe, would she read a manuscript that she just found someplace? Or would she be, she'd probably be smarter than that. She'd be like, there's no way this just got randomly left here. You'd have to put it in the garbage or something, right? So she's like, oh, you know. So she'd have the story. It's always that story of, you know what, man, I was, I, I walked in, this, this, he had crimpled up all those papers, this poet, right? And then he, it's always the old trope where they go through what the artist has thrown away, and it's brilliant. I'm the opposite. I'm like, look at this! And everybody's like, oh, good job. Is this fucking guy autistic? What the fuck? No, it's artistic. No, I'm, I'm fucking pretty sure you're autistic, bud. That's okay, though. Autism, autism people? Mm, see? I mean, there you go. Exhibit A. I couldn't, I shouldn't say that though. I don't know. Autism seems to have a whole spectrum of like, of like, uh, afflictions, I guess you'd say. I don't know. Like some of it is noise avoidance, right? Where you don't like loud noises. And again, I'm just going to, I'm going to butcher this. Please. If you want to know anything about autism, please go look it up yourself. Do not listen to me. I'm not, I'm not a science man. I'm just an asshole who bought a microphone off Amazon. So just keep that in mind. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know the spectrum of autism, but I know that some of it is like sensory, sensory, sensory sensitivities, and um, 
I think that manifests in sound mostly, right? Um, and then I don't know if they would come, like, I don't know. There just seems to be a variation of people on the spectrum who are high functioning and versus people who seem to be need full-time care in some cases. And I don't know the difference. Um, but again, I guess I just mean to say, I don't mean to joke about having autism. Not because I'm worried about offending anybody, but I guess it's like, oh shit, man. It's one of those things you don't think about. And then you do think about it, and you're like, oh man. That would suck. Suck to have autism, bro. <laughs> Jeez, I'm an asshole. Ugh. Should I just cut to this fucking uh, interview? Uh, I don't know. Talked about the article. Article. Popsicle. Talked about the article, so that's on Salon. Um, let's just look up cultural taxidermy in Salon if you're so interested. I'll go to the old Twitter page, which is at speaking bull, speaking unders underscore bull. And I think I have it pinned up there or something. But um, other than that, just school keeps me pretty busy. I got another, um, there's another podcast on, on the on the works here that's not going to be two months I'm just trying to schedule it with uh, cuz that's that was on a couple of our episodes there episode two and episode seven I believe or six I don't recall but uh, yeah he's gonna come back on and talk about some stuff we've got some things in the works that we're working on which is um, could work out in an opportunity to uh, work with new settlers to Canada who come from other places Canada doesn't do a good job about in educating about indigenous peoples and why would they, I guess, right? But, uh, so, um, somebody that I work with, uh, through Participedia, uh, reached out, we had a meeting, and, um, he said there might be an opportunity for, uh, for us to work with, a um, like a charity, a non-profit organization that works with new settlers, and they don't have anybody, they said they've been looking for eight years to, to, for somebody to fill this role, and I, I don't know. That seems um, that seems like a long time. Maybe um, maybe they're just hoping somebody popped up or something, or maybe they were advertising in the wrong place. You gotta do. You gotta for us, man. You wanna find us? You gotta find us on Facebook Marketplace, man. <laughs> that's that's where you gotta advertise, bro. You gotta fucking you gotta get on that wire, son. That that f that Facebook wire, that FB wire. All joking aside. Um, yeah, uh, shit, I don't know. Maybe that is a good place to cut it then, right? Because I'm already saying, shit, I don't know. Look at a lot of, what time is time I got? Because we got like a 30-minute conversation with Homeboy there, maybe 45. So I try to keep these around an hour. So what I'll probably end up doing is stopping it here, putting in, loading up his, uh, his interview there going through that chop 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 and uh then i'll come back after i remember and kind of have a upbeat of what was said there and be able to close it off with with uh with with not feeling like oh so yeah those guys just talked about that right because at this point i don't even think i said bye on the other pad pod i need the podcast i was just you know sort of practical about it because we had to go and i was like yeah yeah don't worry i'm gonna say do the intro and the outro later but practically that can be a little bit different when there's like a time delay in between, right? Cause you want to 
be able to sort of obviously make the audience aware that uh, you know the two parts are not you know not the same that these were recorded at different times but also when you come back at the end you you want to be able to comment on it I think I mean it makes sense to me to sound like I knew what I was talking about at this point I don't I don't recall exactly well I remember what he said which was cool I just don't remember some other stuff we were talking about towards the end there about philosophy and I don't know if that's important or not but again um, you know at this point I don't think it'd be a good closeout I could just ramble like I am now but I'm not gonna do that so uh, should I go like uh, here's the interview I feel like those cartoons that show a cartoon sometimes like the you know, those old like Tweety Bird Looney Tunes shit right where they have the they have like not Jimmy the Cricket but like Roger Rabbit not Roger Rabbit what the fuck is that guy's name Bugsy Bunny, Bunny. <laughs> Bugs Bunny damn I'm getting old Bunny Bugs Bugs Bunny dang he would like or would it be Porky Pig whoever it was they would like hey you know here's this let's check in on you know Daffy Duck or whatever and they'd like go to a little skit these little like mini cartoons within an overall cartoon or maybe I'm misremembering it I don't know Anyways, here's here's my conversation with Dr. Johan. Not enough. I'm a warrior. But I think we have good an hour. Yes, um, I'm Johannes Steitzinger. I'm professor at McMaster University, professor of philosophy. I teach and do research on German philosophy, especially of the 19th and early 20th century. So I'm very interested in how German philosophy developed in this time and also how German philosophers contributed to the justification of racism. But today I won't speak about my research and I'm not here as a professor. I'm here as a private individual and I think that's actually important because I will share some of my personal experiences with Tim and with um, the audience and we will talk about that and I think that's actually a very important distinction to um, what you were talking about and the kind of handle you have on on a certain topic and so I find it important because there might be things um, I don't know about there are a lot of things I don't know about and there are also things um, yes I don't know how they will how, how they will how you how you see them because it's really something that concerns my cultural background but also my personal background and I think that our personal beliefs are often wrong <laughs> and the best th thing we can do is being open to mm -hmm. be taught and to learn and this is why I liked my interactions with Tim a lot because I learn a lot from him, and so I also hope today that I learn that I will learn how my my experiences and also my background relate to his experiences and his background. Well, thank you so much, Doctor. What a what a heck of an intro that was. I don't have many of the accolades there, but I'm the podcast host. So um, we had an interesting sort of. Uh, uh, begin to our relationship. You were my my professor in one of my classes there, and uh, um, I don't remember exactly how the topic got broached, but it had come up that I was indigenous, and you had expressed a bit of interest in the culture peripherally about that, and that got us to talking. And I had asked if you'd ever been to a powwow before, and you said you hadn't because you were relatively new to Canada, I believe, in the last couple of years, if I remember correctly. Yes, yeah, okay, that's correct. And so uh, I thought, what a great opportunity. To, to bring someone from outside of the Canadian who was raised here and someone who was appreciative of it uh, uh, to the powwow. And uh, thankfully, you, you jumped right on board. So, um, again, I really appreciate you being here today and sharing your ideas and thoughts and uh, um, 
during that powwow when we went out, we decided uh, maybe we had a little bit more to unpack, and that's why we decided maybe to do that on the on the podcast there. And uh, there's a couple things directly I wanted to ask you about. Um, and you, if you want to sort of give us an outline generally of who who this person was, but there's a, an, an author. Um, from Europe, I believe that you were saying, and I can't recall his name, but um, late 19th century? Yes, yes. Karl May is his name. And he's only one, um, yeah, he's an, he's part of this weird German fascination with indigenous culture. Mm. So, um, but yeah, this is, this is what we started talking about, is that, so my interest in learning about um, actual experiences of indigenous um, people in America is based or is rooted in actually quite a problematic and um, difficult, we could say, um, heritage of a German fascination and Austrian fascination. So I come from Austria, but I lived also for a long time. I lived in Vienna for a long time, but I also lived in Berlin for a long time. And I do research on German philosophy. So I would, um, um, when I speak about myself, it is a weird kind of mixture of my Austrian heritage with my um, German, um, also with my, my, my interest in German culture and Austrian German, it's also a, a difficult relationship. But I generally identify as European, so this is something we might also want to talk about. <laughs> I don't, I don't identify so much with my nationality, but really with being a European. And yeah, and so I'm a new settler, as you say. But um, but um, but yeah, for me, I I read Karl May. Um, as a teenager and as an early teenager, and for me, it was the starting point of a, also a fascination with indigenous cultures and with indigenous people. And so now, Karl May is an author, a typical author of around 1900, and um, he wrote adventurer novels basically. And the, the adventurer novels oft take place often some in the Orient, but some um, um, in and the most the most famous ones in the in 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 North America. And his main, the main character, his main hero is Winnetou. And Winnetou is a, a Apache chief and he represents, so I would say, so Germany is not the same kind of superhero culture as the United States are. So we don't have Superman or Spider-Man, but mm -hmm. Winnetou is the closest you come to a German superhero, yeah? He really- Love it. Yeah. Yeah, but as a German superhero, it is interesting because he it, it is an imagery, it is a fantasy, it is these are novels at the beginning, Karl May claimed that it is based on his experience, but he actually never visited um, you, um, the, the North America before, also before he had written these books, mm -hmm. only afterwards, four, four years um, be, before he died. But um, these books are basically the sources he uses are traveler journals and there is a German fascination with indigenous people dating back to around 1800 to the movement of romanticism, something I also do a little research on. And so there were also um, the, the famous and infamous Buffalo Bill shows. Buffalo Bill was more than four times, uh, was three times in Germany and um, did his shows at different mm -hmm. in, in the 1890s, in the 1900s. And so there, and he is only one, one, um, one example of this, um, of how, also this, um, the presentation, the very problematic presentation of indigenous people, the exotization, took place in in Germany. So what what I now the, these novels of Karl May are full of stereotypes, positive stereotypes, mm -hmm. but nevertheless stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And so they are, um, and actually, I would say the most important aspect of this story is how Germans 
identify themselves with indigenous people. So it, it goes beyond this fiction. It is really part of how German cons Germany constituted itself as a nation in the 19th century. So there's a deep identification and weird identification with indigenous people. So um, I wrote a paper um, some days ago that um, compares this Indian enthusiasm, how it is called by researcher um, um, Lutz Hartmann, with, um, with the Norse so the fascination of Germans with their own ancient um, um, predecessors. Very interesting, know, and, yeah. and so to, see, to, to, to make a bit clearer how, what, what, how Germans saw this similarity, for example, the German, the Germanic people of the old times, they were colonialized by the Roman Empire, and Germans saw a similarity here, or imagined a similarity between the colonization of the Germanic people in, 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 in before the Middle Ages mm -hmm. even, in the Romantic time with the colonialization oh, of wow. the indigenous people in North America. Then Germans always emphasize that that's actually a problematic heritage that also um, is important for National Socialism and so on. Namely, they, they, they always, they, or they, they often in the 19th and early 20th centuries um, con identified themselves with something different from Western culture, different from the UK, different from France. From, from, from France. And one aspect of this was being a particular culture, being, being on one's own and having, in some sense, a closer connection to um, to nature, the German forest mm. is a very important image for the German self-understanding and also having a different kind, a deeper sense of community than the French civilization. So all these are actually problematic political myths too and they were used to, yeah, to, 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 to create this, um, this bond with indigenous people because Germans, authors, um, propagandists, philosophers believed um, writers, not only uh, Karl May, that um, indigenous people have a similar history and a similar attitude towards themselves, this brotherhood, but also towards nature. And so it is really, this is a very deep-seating enthusiasm of Germans for indigenous people that um, is still vivid today. So Karl May is still read a lot, it's still, um, the, it's the most great German author, and he's, he's his, um, my generation, I, I read him, and it is, but it's even more. You have in Germany um, festivals, Karl May festivals. You mm -hmm. have, then you have, one should distinguish a little, hobbyists. So you have people who really want, who really appropriate in a very um, literal sense, indigenous ways of life and live, try to live like indigenous people in the forests of Germany and really um, try to em imitate as closely as possible um, indigenous reeds, indigenous clothes, and they one could say they are really they, there's a radical cultural appropriation of indigenous ways of life, and you have also hobbyist festivals where they where they invite dancers from North America and so on. And yeah, so we can talk how problematic this is and what the problems there are. So one thing I learned here is, and what what I find very important is that, in some sense, in particular, this hobbyist in his focusing basically on indigenous life before contact. They romanticize indigenous people in a way that they themselves don't see indigenous realities today. And they often actually, um, I read also some, um, some, some, um, some reports of indigenous um, authors about their interaction with hobbyists. Sometimes they um, confront indigenous people here of being not authentic enough, which is weird and which, which shows one of these big problems that romantic that the stereotyping 
this positive stereotyping can also lead to not acknowledging the reality of an in indigenous people, especially if you are such a hobbyist who really tries to imitate indigenous ways of life. The case of Karl May is a little different because it is, it is literature and it is fantasy, but um, it can it can lead to the same problematic stereotypes. And the other thing is, is this all is also infused with a kind of cultural pessimism. So for this um, for this enthusiasm is actually quite important. The idea of 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 yeah of of indigenous people as a dying race, as an old as an older form of life that mm -hmm. is opposes modernity, but there's also a melancholy. Well, it's, it's in the name, right? Indigenous yes. is a political designation, right? right. So it's sort yes. of, uh, you know, the tautology of that of that um, categorization um, tracks with uh, what you're saying. Um, so I was very interested to hear about. Um, so before we had met, I had heard that we had heard uh, the indigenous people through the indigenous line. We had heard that there was this fascination uh, in Europe with indigenous cultures and uh, we had heard that they had taken the time to fly over singers and drummers to try and recreate these experiences and I always thought that was flattering and I totally agree with what you're saying in terms of it being problematic equally as problematic um, as the other sort of negative stereotypes but I guess what I my position is what is the teleology of the story what is the story meant to do right and that's where I noticed something different about um, this author that you mentioned. And it's more about trying to... It appears to me that there's no attempt to frame anybody in a sort of negative way. There's no sort of like... There's no packed in... I don't know how to say this because it might all be... might all may not be true, but I mean, it feels like... Here, the stories here... Are, are a very particular structure, right? Where we were the wild ones not using the land. We were basically equivalent to animals, right? And all the stories are told through this lens, right? This lens that's way back in the, in the settler's origins, right? And what I see is that this author is placed in a similar lens, but the, the lens is different. What it's putting out on the other side are positive images of indigenous peoples. And I think when I, when I put those two things beside each other, I say, okay, um, is there is there a way to compare these? What is what is what are the negatives and what are the positives? How how does the inaccuracy affect um, you know the authenticity of this? And I say to myself, well, do we really know? I mean, stories really capture certain feelings, right? No matter what the words are, the characters or whatever, they're all meant to 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 get to a certain feeling, right? And so they're not really accurate anyways. Even your most historical book that's, that captures that, it's really just through the vent lens of an external person. So how accurate is it anyways, unless it's the person's memoirs, and then it's just an anecdotal experience. So I don't know how much the authenticity matters as much as the teleology, the ethos of what they're trying to communicate to the other person. And when I see people on the other side of that saying having a positive view of indigenous peoples and indigenous ways of life as opposed to looking at them as ancient relics, vestigial, vestigial structures from the past that are, you know, a dying race, as you say, um, or as was said, I, I, I can't help but, but, but wish it was, there was more of that. And it's not to say that it would be more helpful, but man, fighting through a negative image of indigenous peoples as, as 
as lesser or less intelligent or as primitive or not having complex social structures, it's much more difficult. Um, I find it much more difficult to deal with people who see you in that way. And maybe it'd be equally as difficult to deal with people who had this positive view of me as well and say, wait a minute, you don't go out and hunt deer and do this while you're not authentic or you're not like, I can see that as well. But to be honest with you, I'd rather have a positive association than a negative association, I guess. And when we spoke and you said that there was discussion uh, in Europe about this author and a cultural appropriation, I thought, well, hey, you know, attacking that when there's all the cowboys and Western movies and all these other sort of colonial tacit implications of power in our cultural landscape is a little bit disingenuous. It feels a bit like virtue signaling. And that is, in my opinion, one of the more, one of the, one of the least harmful um, problems to deal with right now in terms of attacking ideas about indigenous and indigeneity, I guess. Um, I don't know. I, I, I struggle with this because I don't, uh, I don't know that uh, appropriation in this sense is the same as appropriation in a different sense. And I guess what I'm saying is that like, I, I'm trying to understand if the positive framing of indigenous peoples, how much of an impact that has, even though it's inaccurate, and does it make it a better, more malleable pile to work from as opposed to the negative pile of people where they're stupid and not smart and don't have any virtue, right? Is it more malleable to deal with people who view us as virtuous and have these positive sort of inferences and connotations of indigenous peoples? I'd like to think yes, but then, you know, we're fighting through stereotypes of inauthenticity, right? So um, I'm very interested to hear more about uh, what you think on these things, I guess. I mean, this podcast for me was more um, about really trying to understand where these things... I had no idea it was tied back to uh, to sort of a, a German identity that, that, that had to deal with being colonized by, by the Romans and sort of seeing a, having a, a relation through experience like that. I didn't, I didn't know. I thought maybe it was something where they... You know, just, I mean, like an adventurer. If you look at uh, some of the writings of that time, the adventure magazines in the late 19th century, it was all about this exotic traveling and these safaris and these exotic peoples from different places, right? So I, I kind of assumed that that was just somebody who liked the magazines and decided to write their own fantasies about it. And maybe that's partially true, but what you said about it resonating with something deep, more deep, deeply rooted, um, I'd like to explore that a little bit, actually. Which was an invention, but in in this again, we, we, we always so my first. I think what I can't what I can't decide and can't speak about is, but I th I really first I really like that you distinguish between different kinds of appropriation. I think that's actually indeed very important, and also the same the, the term you coined this um, um, cultural taxonomy. Yeah, cultural it's, taxonomy. Yeah, yeah that's really very important that we that we find conceptualization of this phenomena and also acknowledging the difference and also the different kind of impact they have. But that is the point where I, I think we should think about, I think the criterion we should have, what helps starting a dialogue, actually. So how, mm -hmm. what helps Agreed. better that I can learn from you what you really are? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because, and also the same, and I, maybe I can tell from my own experience here, People don't know much about Germany or Austria here, but they know maybe more 
then about indigenous cultures, which is a Canadian problem I, I'm, 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 I'm learning about too. But um, for me, it's also trying and, and but nevertheless, there are, there are some, there are, I, I would say that there are better starting points for me bringing to bear my own background, my own experience, and also the things I work on than others. And I think here it's the same. It's, a, it's more sensible because it's different. I come from Europe and European culture has been the dominant culture for such a long time. And so there, ha there, doesn't, has, there doesn't have to be the same kind, let's say, of sensitivity towards um, European culture, I think. So I'm fine with, with um, people watching Sound of Music although it's an awful movie and everybody in Austria <laughs> hates it, ex exactly because people in Austria say, this tells you nothing about Austria, yeah? Mm. But I say, okay, it's fine. People actually talk about, want to talk about with me about sort of music a lot. And I was I haven't even watched it. I don't want to watch it because I know how people in Austria see it and I don't want, but I'm fine with you watching it and starting a conversation with me mm. about it. But I think things are different when we speak about um, oppressed cultures and colonialized cultures. But um, um, the second thing I want to say, context really matters. Um, context in the sense, um, what is the, so um, I am indigenous people who live in Germany and there are indigenous people who live in Germany that they are annoyed by these stereotypes and that they, for them, it's very hard to work through because they have tried for decades maybe to work against it. Um, I understand very well, but things might be different for someone who lives here, even from for indigenous person who lives here. And, and and so this is something I think that is very important when we assess this phenomena. And um, coming back to to yes, and and I, I was fascinated reading that actually um, indigenous people did the did the PhDs, some of the preeminent indigenous scholars today in Germany in Greifswald. And and so Rene Watchman, Rene Watchman, for instance, um, 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 also um, and 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 different. So it is also interesting that in some sense there is evidence that the kind of stereotyping in in Germany opens up possibilities people don't have in Canadian academia in the same way. Mm -hmm. At least 10, 15 years ago, when things changed now in Canada, um, fortunately also. But um, what I want to say is that my story may be the story that um, reading these stereotypes as a teenager, but um, actually that they, that these, that I knew that's literature and I, I was simply intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. And then it developing a, a sincere interest in learning about indigenous cultures is one effect this can have. I don't know whether it's the exemplary effect, only an empirical study could show us that, but some things I have read show that for for some people, it has this effect mm -hmm. that they that they open themselves up to the other. Yeah. And I think this is exactly also when reading your work um, about cultural taxidermy, the issue with that is maybe too that a, that a story is close, that it's the end, that it should be the end of a story, that it's not dialogical, that it's dictatorical quite mm -hmm. clearly, mm -hmm. and that it is clearly a power move. Yeah. And so we, we might want to end um, the, the, the other thing is too that it's not acknowledging difference, but really appropriating in a very literal sense, making the, the symbol of the other one's own completely. Yeah? And not and, and so and all these might be this non-dialogical way, this this um, this quite we could say polemical way in the sense of really now of fighting, antagonistic way of um, engaging with another culture, appropriating it and making it one's own. And now we might want to look at, as you say, at appropriations or engagements with other cultures, 
whether they whether they are whether they end the story or open a story whether they are they're dictatorial or dialogical whether they are power moves or whether they try to engage with each other on eye level and mm -hmm. being democratic and equal mm -hmm. and whether they acknowledge difference or are homogenizing. So we, we might want to have such more general criteria to assess in a specific context what the impact of a certain engagement with the other is. So that would be my very abstract way to thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not on me who grew up with that to decide whether this is the impact it has. That's more the indigenous people I try to engage with, they have to tell me how it is for them. And this is, I think, the starting point maybe of a dialogue even based. I think you're absolutely right. You've really put, you've really, um, you've really separated some important things here. Uh, I guess it comes back to what, because regardless, if we abstract the situation we're talking about and we think of other cultures and races and peoples around the world, we all have ideas, you know, probably totally inaccurate about who they are and what we've heard about them. Let's take a random let's take a random country and no insult to the people of Moldova, but I'm just picking that out of my head or we can use another country as well. I don't know anything about Moldova other than that they're I believe in Europe and um, my friend with whom I play soccer who is from Moldova isn't allowed to hear this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. we'll use a different oh, I example. I want him, yeah. No, no, no I, I definitely don't mean. I just use that as an example no where there's this, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what I don't, I don't know what I don't know, right? And so we have two options at this point. I either let's say I met somebody from, um, you know, who who could give me an idea of Moldova, and maybe it would be a positive view, or maybe they'd say, oh, those. Moldovians are A, B, C, D, right? And I'd go, oh, are they? And they'd be like, yeah, look, A, B, C, D. And I'd be like, oh, geez, right? And what point of reference, like, where does that tautology of that go? What is tacitly not being said there, right? What he's telling me is that, oh, these people are not, as, they're, not they're not worthy of a neutral interpretation. They're not worth, they're, they're, they're worthy to have these things packed on. And it's in your interest to know them because it could affect you. It's all this, this, this weighting of, uh, Waiting, not like in terms of time, but waiting of the uh, in terms of like of words, right, and, and ideas and connotations. When we that person who you know has told me this about Moldova, and again, sorry to your friend. Um, if I take that in and I don't have any other point of reference, right, I, I don't know. Like that's just not a good starting point, right? And when I hear things about Moldova in the future, I'm going to have this little lens there. Like, oh, my friend told me that. I'll look for evidence of it or I won't, right? It'll be a confirmation bias thing. It's not a neutral sort of like, here's what Moldova is. It's, I've seen it now through this person's lens, good or bad. And I, and that's, that's how ideas and knowledge is passed on. It's all through each other's lens. I get that. But when the outcome is a negative one versus a positive one, it doesn't really matter what the connotations or what the specificities of the negative or the positive was. They're just basically telling you, these people aren't worth A, B, C, D, or there's something to know about them. You should be afraid of them, or you should not trust, or you should whatever. And once that's there, then we're just trying to work around that. Then we're talking, well, did this really happen? And did that happen? And who lied? And who said this? And why are these people saying this? All this other, like, in the fray. And it all starts from those sort of, like, positive or negative connotations. And with, uh, I, I can't remember the author's name, Klein Kleis? Heinlein Kleis? I don't know. What was the guy's name? The author from Germany. Karl May. Karl May. Okay. Karl May. He is doing something what I think is 
very important, which is allowing a positive space, at least a neutral space, not fighting from a deficit of, of cultural interpretation. And it may still be a deficit when we try to do other things, but at least it's not, you know, at least a native person, an indigenous person could go over to Germany and be welcomed, right? Hey, let me learn about this. Hey, I heard this. And whether they're accurate or not, nobody's really ever totally accurate. But to go in the abstraction, when I go into a small rural community here and I have something that says I'm indigenous on it, there's there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of eyes on you, right? There's a lot of, you're not, it's not as welcoming, right? And it has to do with those connotations and the fear and the xenophobic sort of storylines and narratives that they've been told through cowboys and westerns and sort of stories of origin and all this stuff. It has real impacts down the line. That little thing we're talking about, that little positive or negative first lens there is very, very important. And we don't ever talk about that. We talk about all the like, we get into the ether of whether things really happened or not, or whether that charitable, that interpretation is accurate. But that's, that's kind of the problem. We'll never really know if it's accurate or not. The problem is not really whether it's accurate or whether or not it's neutral, whether or not it's charitable. And if we can't have charitable interpretations of other cultures, then we're in a situation where it's like cultural relativism, ethnocentricity, cultural imperialism, where all of a sudden like, oh, their morality is bad and our morality is good. And we get into these weird situations, right, when we don't approach things from a neutral. And uh, being even the word indigenous and uh cultural taxonomy, all these things don't allow for a neutral interpretation. And if I can't have a neutral one, I'd rather have a positive one. So when I hear the conversation of this one author, probably one of the only ones in the world from an external indigenous point of view to write positive connotations, abstract of colonial, you know, I'm saying connotations a lot, but I have no other word for it because it's uh, relatively early for me still. Um, it's, it's problematic in ways that uh, I think... Um, have implications that are long-standing, and I guess that's I guess that's really, really what my my issue is is that um, you know if we're if we're really going to attack negative interpretations, if we're really going to look at what is impactful, I don't think uh, this author we referred to is having a negative impact in that same way as cultural uh, as uh, cowboy and Indian movies have. I can't stand that stuff. If German and if Germany won the war, people say we'd all be speaking German. Well, I'm not speaking in Ojibwe right now. Okay, so when you start looking at that and you start looking at okay, well, if we took parallels between what we when we demonized the Nazis with the SS boots and the uniforms and oh my God, if Germany had won the war, they wouldn't have wrote the story of the war like that. They would have wrote it in a way that was like a great sort of coming of ABC and SS boots might be popular and in fashion and it all to be. But imagine. For example, how Jewish people might feel seeing that around. It's exactly the same with cowboys and Indians. All my heroes killed cowboys. Cowboys were part of the were part of the spear tip that were winning the Wild West against the wild Indians. And these romantic sort of positive connotations just leave us in a, as the protagonist and all or the antagonist in all of their stories. And really, this is what this comes down to. Are we always going to be the antagonist in these stories? I like the other author because we're not the antagonist, and and that's that's really important. Now, whether Karl May achieves that, um, I bracket this for a moment. But what I can say is, I always say about my experience that um, my development this shows that something good can something come from something bad. So I don't, I see the stereotyping. Mm -hmm. and I think it's very problematic. But um, in some sense, since I developed this sincere interest, I believe um, it is something. It shows maybe something that that. 
we can't choose where we start always. Sometimes we and and we are in an empirical world, we are in a non non ideal world, and sometimes we have to work with what we got and and we try to make it we have to try to make it better to become more open and to develop. But it's not we 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 don't start always on the right side. But we should aim to get to the right side and to engage with each other to find out what the right side is because mm-hmm. it's also not always so clear. So and the second thing before I come to Karl May, um, the second thing I want to say is from my personal experience, I agree with you, but I don't know whether and I don't want to claim that my personal experience applies to non-European cultures. But for me, it's much easier to engage with somebody here who loves Austrian culture or German culture. Mm-hmm. It's much more difficult for somebody who believes um, we are only Nazis. <laughs> so, na- yeah. National socialism is an important aspect of Austrian and German culture, and I'm working a lot about that. But if somebody believes that's the only thing that happens, um, um, uh, or that is Austria or Germany, then it is difficult to get a conversation started. And actually, one mm-hmm. of the indigenous authors, I think, again, it was Renee Watchman, who says that she learned that um, cultural appreciation is a two-way street in some sense. So there's also stereotyping from the other side. And so, again, it's not the same. It doesn't have the same negative impacts, and it's not the same because one is the dominant culture, the other is the, is the oppressed culture. But nevertheless, it's also something I have to deal with, and it's much easier for me because of my privileges. I'm a white male. And, um, but nevertheless, from my perspective, I agree with you. Now, coming back to Kalmai. So Kalmai, it is simply, it is, it is such a, it, it has become such a, such a big phenomenon that is, that is first, that is, that, that one always has to distinguish between the literature, between um, the, and the, the, the kind of, um, yeah, the, the media and cultural production that are based and rooted in the literature. For example, there, in the 1960s, there were both in Eastern and in Western Germany, also films, um, Cowboy and Indian films, but the Indians were the good ones, the Indians, in, um, under quotation marks. <laughs> yeah, so you can't see the air quotes, but he's putting air quotes over Indian, yes. and I appreciate that. Yes. So, um, but, so movies are called that way. So this is, this is, this is something, um, yeah, again, you have similar stereotypes, but turned around mm-hmm. the, the positive negative. And also, as children, we played a lot, also this game, and everybody wanted, nobody wanted to be a cowboy, yeah? That was, that you always wanted to be the indigenous person. Kind of the opposite of here. Yes. The Indians always lost. And so I read, I started reading Charles Eastman, Indian Boyhood, uh, is the title of his book. So I quote the title. And um, how he, this, the, the first sentences are about the kind of freedom and that every, that every um, young person would like to live like uh, a young indigenous person. And how he describes that, that is, ex- 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 that is exactly what I identified with being indigenous when mm-hmm. I was 13, 14. So, and I found this really fascinating. And then how he describes the kind of life they have. There are also the, the, the massacre of the Sioux and so on. And they had to, and you, you immediately have, have, have this, have also the, the, the violence they were targeted of. But the, the positive things he describes, that is exactly very much the image I had mm-hmm. as a teenager. And exactly in this positive way he describes it, that it gives you something that modern culture can't give you anymore, a kind of 
community, a kind of connection with nature, and a kind of freedom and of adventure. So now, again, this, um, in, in how Karl May, I don't know, I'm not a scholar of Charles Eastman, I don't know how people see um, how he describes his own indigenous background and his indigenous life. And in Karl May, coming back to Karl May, Karl May didn't have this, um, the, the empirical knowledge, but it is, in some sense, it is what I, as a young boy, took from, from this adventurer level, um, novels. So now, Winnetou is only one important figure of his novels. The other one is Old Shatterhand, and Old Shatterhand is a German, a German who actually comes with, a, I think it's a British um, rail company to um, America, and they want to build a railway through indigenous land, and one aspect of the novels is the fight of indigenous people against it. And Old Shatterhand and some other Germans change sides and support the indigenous people. And they forge this friendship between the indigenous people and the German people. And even the, the teacher of Winnetou is a German who fled Germany and be become, became part of the Apache nation. So actually, this, um, this similarity and the closeness between Germans and um, and indigenous people is part of the novels too. Mm. And so it is in, and, and again, when we, when we focus on the negative aspects, Winnetou is, is really, um, yeah, exemplifies the virtues of, uh, of, of a 19th century German and, and even more. So he is, he is, he's a hero. Mm. So he is, he's virtuous. Um, he foregoes his big love because he wants to save his nation he has, he is, and he is, he is honest, he is a speaker, he is the ideal leader, in some sense, yeah. of, a, of, 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 of his people, but he has a German teacher, so one had, here one sees already also a problematic aspect, how much this is built into German self-understanding and maybe an idea of German superiority over other Western countries, mm. European countries, and a superiority that is projected on indigenous people too, as the, the noble the, um, the noble indigenous um, person who is better than because the the bad ones in the in in the novels are the um, the white people who want to who want to build the <laughs> railway, but again also on the other side on his deathbed Winnetou um, um, goes over to Christianity. So this sees he represent he represents the Christian values too. And then in the in, in one of these Karl May festivals you have in Germany, the audience had to wo could vote what they want to change of the Karl May novels. What they want to change is that Winnetou shouldn't die at the end. So in some sense, yeah. But you see, um, telling more and more about it is how ambivalent this this is, mm. and that it is at the end. I think it's more about Germany and German self-understanding than about indigenous people. Karl May himself. And this immediate context, especially, and and again, and it has these different impacts. It has, has people who double down um, on on this hobbyism, people who embrace so like Harry Potter festivals, who embrace the the imaginative world um, Karl May has created uh -huh. and celebrated, but knowing that this is not indigenous life. And then it can have this impact that one develops a sincere interest in indigenous ways of life. I'm I'm conflicted about 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 I'm not a Karl May scholar, so I, I'm con I'm conflicted about about the about how to judge what the impact what the true impact is, is and it's also difficult because it's messy. And um, what what I 
And I think it's important that there is a reckoning about how problematic this can be and to engage critically with, with what it meant and what kinds of German self-images it promoted. And it is also important to think about how it actually precludes engaging with indigenous ways of life. I think, um, but it's part of the cultural tradition in Germany. So I think the important thing is the critical examination of it, the critical engagement with it. Mm -hmm. So not doubling down, but seeing this gray this is. And it might for some, it's clearly negative, and I accept that and I see that for some, what I don't see, what I don't understand is pe people embracing it without any, um, without any critical self-awareness. That's something I find mm -hmm. very problematic, yeah. simply doubling down on it. That is not, and I tried to rewatch some of the films actually um, before I moved to Canada in the, in some years ago, and I found them terrible. I found them, so it's with basically black facing and all yeah. white, all, and it, it is really, and it's not even made well in some sense. It is really, it's, so, it's actually ridiculous. But, but that's another, so this would be another topic then, these films of the 1960s, although they have this, this different outlook on indigenous settler relations, when you look at them, I think you would be enraged by it a little. Yeah, I probably would be, but again, it doesn't take you know, me to get uh, much to get enraged. Um, so I guess what, uh, like, it's still cultural taxidermy what this, what the author, Carl Mile, whatever is doing. I can't, no, I don't, I can't remember his name. Um, it's still cultural appropriate or cultural taxidermy in my opinion. It's just instead of the, the taxidermy piece like being in a trophy room as a hunter, it's more in the center room and being celebrated in a different way. But it's, there's no authenticity to that and the representation of that is more of in the line of the noble savage sort of idea. It's a very small sort of window of what these people were at this particular time, right? And I say to myself, well, what if they, let's take away the indigenous factor for, let's say they dressed up as England. And what if you, like, how would England feel? Would you do that? You'd be like, no, nah, it'd be the same as if I, we were peers and I wore your shirt one day, like a shirt with your face on it, right? Or something where I'm like, how does that, it almost makes you seem like you can't advocate for yourself in a way, right? And so, I don't know, I'm losing my head for a second. Okay, so we're back there. I had to take a little break because I couldn't remember where my brain was. But um, so it is still cultural taxidermy, but it is uh, it's just being celebrated a little bit differently. And when I start thinking about that process, and I start thinking about okay, what is that about the relationship, right? It's, it it's, it almost suggests an absence in a way, right? It suggests that the person isn't here, and you're representing it for them, right? While we're still here, which is weird, and it's like. Everybody, all the indigenous people after 1900 don't count. None of you modern, no, 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 no. We want that old, that old when you guys still had your language shit, right? That old, like, oh, when you guys were actually in the forest, you know, when we could, like, you don't want the, you don't want the residential school Indian where we're all come back all fucked up and, you know, <laughs> you don't want, the, no, 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 that's not as fun. We want the one where you guys are running around in the forest and all that. And I understand it. I mean, again, I... There's both negative and positive connotations through all of this, right? And whether it comes from someplace positive or someplace negative is, is, is uh, I don't know if it's as much of a question or not, but, but what are the impacts of it? And how do you address these things? And I, and, I, and I just can't, as long as we are referred to as indigenous, as long as these, these structures are here, 
these stories will always be the same because that word indigenous ties back and it has a whole structure that's directly tied back to colonization and uh, removing and usurping indigenous independence. So there's no way around that, right? Because we're still being called, you know, the before people. And with that sort of came like, it's almost like they took a Polaroid, like, oh, everything's about to be different for you. Click. And this is the real Indian. This is the picture they have, the Polaroid. And everything after that is tainted for them in a way. And maybe that's because they feel they've tainted it by, you know, imposing or injecting their culture or on top of us. Or now that we speak English and we are kind of mixed in these different ways, maybe there's just like, ah, oh, we don't know. It's not the same as the old Indians, right? But they're not the same either. So I don't know where they get off saying, well, you're not the same as a se- well, you're not the same as a 17th century British man. I don't see any buckles on your shoe. I don't see you acting out here, you know, shitting in the friggin' backyard and wiping your butt with a leaf. There's differences, right? I mean, it's not fair that we just get the static, historical sort of, that's an Indian and you're not. Because I could say the same thing about an Englishman. I don't see any, I don't see a, a white wig on you or whatever the tropes were of the time. I don't see any Victorian dress. Where's your buggy? Where's your horse? Sorry, you're not really, you're not really English then because I don't, I don't see you. You know what I mean? It's just weird that with us, it stopped. The criteria for what could be and what is an indigenous person stopped. And it be, it's because of the name. It's not the same. It, it's just the connotation, the tacit, the tacit suggestion of what indigenous means. Because they describe plant fauna the same way. It's indi- you know, these plants are indigenous to the area. I'm like, what the fuck, man? What's, what's, what is, what's with that? What does that mean? How can they use those, those words the same? Is it just that we're not people and we're animals and plant fauna? Or is there some other sort of categorization that's happening? Some other sort of heuristic that's happening? Why are we in that same group? How come when things about nature come up, you know, we're, we're the noble savage out there living in the, in the land? A lot of other people lived off the land, you know? And, and it's this sort of like, oh, your society was less or more primitive, or this is how we used to live 5,000 years ago when we were all cavemen and you guys are still the same. I just don't know what that really means and why. Um, I, w- I think I would just like, I-, I go out of my way to tell people I'm Ojibwe. I, I refuse to even identify as an indigenous person um, privately to people, and I only use the term because it uh, saves time explaining it every time. We understand what that means. It's not a term that I'd like, but when I say indigenous, it's better than all the other ones, and for the sake of brevity and conversations, you just go on with it. But I, I, I think that that term in itself is hurting for us. First Nations, the first Canadians, the first... No, we were none of those things. We were the, some of the last Canadians. Mm. And so when we look at these, it, it, just, it just really... Uh, it just, it, it just really, all these things really need to be examined and understood. And um, if we're really going to move forward here, I think defining us by, you know, colonization and, and having these sort of ancient static views, historical views of what an indigenous person is and who they are and what they want, I think is uh, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be really hard to, to, to have any sort of progress when we're fighting over these ideas and uh, what an actual authentic Indian is or isn't, right? And this all ties back to some pretty insidious things, right? If you look at removing the Indian from the Indian, if you look at the purpose of residential schools and assimilation schools or however you want to call them because they have the same versions in the States, if we look at what these were meant to do, it was meant to remove the culture from the person and put a new culture in there, essentially, right? And uh, 
you know, and then you judge the person and go, ah, you don't have your culture anymore. It's like, but you did that. That's not fair. You know? So I guess uh, my questions are, what do you do about that? And how do you fix it? And can you fix it? And how, and should you fix it? And, you know, it, it becomes, a, when we're done diagnosing the problem to whatever degree, what do, what is the next step, right? Yes, and from my perspective, also when we talk about the German fascination with indigenous life, is how one can be an ally. So that is, I think, the, the question the question I have and, and I'm thinking about. And, and now I, I agree with your criticism of the term indigenous. I would say another, I, I find it great if you um, present yourself as Ojibwe, because there's also another problem with the term. It, it assumes that there is an indigenous essence. But actually, there's indigenous diversity. So in the sense that there are many different nations mm-hmm. with the indigenous nations. Uh, sorry for using the term. No, 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 but no. And, and, and also, which have different approaches to Very life. Very different, yeah. Which has different concepts of community, which have different ways of life, and engaging with each other and with others and with the environment. And that's actually part, in some sense, of this um, epistemic oppression, so to say, that one subsumize this very diverse um, people into one essence. And mm-hmm. then this is also um, romanticized. And I would say that this idea of the, of, of the, again, under quotation marks, primitive culture is part of the assimilation program, is part of the cultural genocide that mm-hmm. was attempted especially in Canada, but also in the United States. So it is, I think it's part, and so I think the important thing about it is this institutional context you mentioned at the end. You don't have the one that goes hand in hand. And I would say it's indeed, um, as I see it from the outside, it is it is intriguing to learn how indigenous ways of life are adapted to the current mm-hmm. and are part of the, of, of the current world. Now, I'm, I'm, ha, what I want to say is this would have been the alternative from the beginning and should have been the alternative. So not assimilation, but simply living together and mm-hmm. and, and the other seeing the other on the li- eye level and um, enabling the other to um, to be the kind of people they want to be and ha- and not in some sense determining what they are with a certain with a certain image. And so here, in, I mean, this might be this this big problem, especially also of the hobbyist develop uh, of the hobbyist movement, mm-hmm. which who really focus um, focus very much on on a pre-contact um, kind of life. And it's funny to me when I hear that though, because so much of the way of life and our philosophy and culture is tied to the language. So unless you speak the language, you're just out in the bush running around with feathers on your head. I don't see anything other than mimicking the behavior of people. I don't see anything indigenous there or whatever they're doing. And what particular group of indigenous peoples are you bringing over? Is it a max, a mix of Apaches and Hopis and Navajo? There was 1500 different languages and nations on Turtle Island. So there's a, it would it'd be as equivalent as going, ah, Europe, it's all the same. It's like, well, not really. There's a lot of different languages and histories and cultures that have been thriving and being independent for a long time. And trust me, they think they believe there's a difference. If you call the, if you, you know. Some of these hobbyist group, groups organize as different communities, as Blackfeet, Ojibwe, and so on. I don't know how much they speak the language. But they even um, reproduce um, war path and oh, so. Oh man, I want to dress. Want- we should all dress up as a bunch of cowboys over there and give them the real experience. Let's go give them the real experience. You want to be indigenous? Let's do the fun stuff. 
Let's do the, <laughs> let's make you walk across the country. Let's do the Trail of Tears recreation. Or, uh, you know, I mean, it's just, it's very, in some ways, you know, like I'm not mad at anybody. I'm not like, oh, you guys should do it and stop that. Like I have other problems here to worry about than what they're doing. To me, it's just kind of an interesting thing whether they do it or not. I don't, it makes no it doesn't have as big of an, of an impact as uh, as other things do because the people who believe that stuff here is very problematic. The colonial propagation I deal with in this very university is very problematic. You you familiar with the philosophy text? They they often refer to primitive cultures and primitive peoples and these types of arguments. And again, I've had to read all these things and. It's very frustrating seeing the inner, seeing how the hot dogs made, so to speak, seeing the inner framework what was used legally to justify their moral legal justifications to take our land and dispossess us of our cultures and all these different things. To see that framework and see it being passed on to twenty-year-olds so they can wield it for another twenty years and pass it on again is very frustrating. And you bring up these conversations to your teachers and to instructors, and they go, "Yes, Tim. Yes, I totally understand. It's so messed up. I understand how you feel." Very next class. So, <laughs> right back to it, right? And um, I don't know that they have a lot of options left or right. Uh, maybe all these books are approved and, you know, all oh, what we have to teach and this is what was said. But, I mean, I just had a big blow up the other day with list reading Griffin. I don't know his first name, but he's in my global peace and just justice class. And he's talking about, you know, using examples of taking kids and putting them in Christian societies and whether or not that's wrong. And I'm just thinking to myself, what an insensitive conversation to have in front of another indigenous person. You know that I'm here. And then Griffin didn't, but the teacher does. And I don't know that they had any tools they were given beforehand. Like, hey, if you have an indigenous person and this comes up, this is how you should handle it. They're probably just like, oh, here, here you go. Deal with it if it comes up. And uh, it was a very uncomfortable situation for me. And I ended up calling the guy a dog shit racist. And the teacher took that opportunity to say, you can't swear in class. And I was like, I'll say whatever I want. They're like, you can leave. And I'm like, holy shit, this is this is this was not a fun experience for me. Because I mean, having to deal with these things set in front of me and then getting a little excited. And I wasn't calling any person a dog shit racist. I was just like, this guy is, you know, he's saying these things. And he just appears to me to not have anything of value to contribute. He just seems like kind of a dog shit racist to me. And so I can't even always engage with people in a way that I feel is honest. I feel like there's this like, no, 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 sir. You need to be of this emotional caliber in this sort of way. Like we're also capturing how smart you are, but also whether or not you can, you know, be stable in these situations. And then I think that's kind of unfair because I have a stake in whether or not these things come out and to watch you know, to watch another row of barbed wired fence be putting around me is just is, is like, I mean, just stop. Right. You guys talk all this shit about truth and reconciliation, the new land acknowledgments on the university. And like they've said some, some pretty insensitive things in my presence, knowing I'm there and I've talked to them about it. And they say they placate me and then continue on to the same thing. And so I don't know. I don't know how to deal with these uh, situations, and I realize we're we're getting into our time here, but um, no, but it's an important topic, and what, what what I would like to ask you is, what should we do differently? I actually have an idea for that, Please. and so my idea is that I think we need to remove the names of the people who come up with these philosophical ideas, remove all the personal of who they were. I don't care if Plato said it or David Hume said it. Let's look at the ideas and abstraction, regardless of where they were born, who their name is, and it's important because if they have if they have any weight. It doesn't matter when they were. 
because we could come up with an idea a week ago and it could be disproved. We can look at Plato's ideas and, and find ways they're either right or wrong. But I think that the concepts in themselves, abstract of the people, is important. Because when we start hearing, you know, John Locke talk about people's rights and freedoms and liberties, while at the same time knowing that he had ideas about indigenous peoples that were extremely racist and insidious, it's hard. It becomes problematic. It muddies the water for no reason. If you want to learn, I feel like you should learn the ideas first, second year, explore them more. Maybe in later years, you find out who said it and what time it was said. Because the context doesn't matter as much as I feel like is the ideas themselves. But I mean, if you want to say, uh, if you want to go on about Rousseau and these different people and how great they were at the same time as talking about their ideas, it's, it's and no one says they're great, but the fact that we're talking about them puts them on a pedestal and it's this position that's tacitly said they're worth discussing. And but, so, but the focus on the ideas was often used to ignore and actually to cut out the racist context mm -hmm. of, um, of, of, yeah, of where and from whom the ideas were formulated. And sometimes these, sometimes it is also the, there are a lot of interconnection w between what seems to be a, 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 an idea only and the social political background and context of the person um, who has formulated this idea. So um, now, now, yeah, and, and so, and I, I don't know, I don't know, but for me, what you, the experience you describe, in some sense, for, for me, I, I'm really surprised by your um, suggestion, because for me, for m but maybe I'm wrong about that, for me, more contextualization would be appropriate in some sense, because what you what, what in some sense how you describe this terrible experience you shouldn't have at our um, university, to be quite honest about that, is that we as teachers should be aware in which context we are teaching certain ideas. And so we should be aware that we are teaching that in, a colonial, in the colonial context of Canada where indigenous people are part of our society and where certain examples, certain ideas... I totally agree. Okay, good. No, I agree that that would yeah. be the ideal, but that's not happening, and we're not seeing a consistent effort across the board. We're seeing, seeing a lot of lip service. And so if we can't really do that, and we don't know how to engage, and it's too big of a problem, then let's look at the common denominator. What's, what are ways we can abstract from the context and talk about a philosophical idea? Because really, if I say it's wet outside and it rained, does it matter who I am or what I said? I mean, does it does it really matter who I am if I I mean, we could talk about, well, you maybe you were blind or maybe you didn't hear it. But the idea itself shouldn't be convoluted or taken away because of where it came from. Right. And I think that a lot of the things I've read had ideas in it that I could not appreciate because of the other connotations, their personal. And it's not even fair because they were born 400 years ago and we're getting all this like context. I feel like is just clouding the waters. We talk about. Plato, we talked about the natural-born slave versus the slave by law. I don't need to know Plato, Plato said that. Let's talk about that idea. Let's talk about that. And then if you want to find out it was said 3,000 years ago, you'd be like, oh, wow. Or maybe you'll be surprised and find out it was written 50 years ago. And I thought that was actually going to be something that was much older. But I don't care about Plato or Socrates or any of these other people. And I think that us carrying on their names is, is just, okay. it's, it's not. So it's not the context, but the names and the, the person. So because I think when you talk about different justifications of slavery, it's important to know the kind of society in which they took place. So I don't think it is, though. 
because I think that that's just sort of like knowing what happened. It doesn't matter. We don't need to know that to know that it's wrong, right? Like we know in our hearts and right now, we don't need to know. Like we already know by a, by by being a person and within this culture that we've been raised in, our cultural norms say that this is wrong. We don't need to know who said that or that it was said 50 years ago or 5,000 years ago. So I don't know other than if you were going to be in a history class, how that information is just as relevant to the idea of whether or not agency and autonomy and liberty, because these are ideas that are happening. We're on the cutting edge and taking all these things in the, in the past that happened, I don't know is valuable. But, but ideas might depend on the society in which they emerge and, and it might be oh, important sure they do. to But is this valuable? Yeah, it might be, it might be valuable to understand which kind of societies, um, some give rise to which kind of ideas oh, and also how ideas are used in societies either to justify or to, to justify things that happen or to, um, get, to get away from things that happen. So I would say it is, it is ideas are never only ideas because ideas first they always have an impact. They always, they always, there are, there are, there are certain interests um, connected with the ideas. And I actually think that philosophy at its best is this comprehensive reflection on how we understand ourselves and the world mm -hmm. and also the limits and the potentials of that. And there are limits. Now, society can be both. Society can be a limit and can be a potential, also depending on how it is set up. So I think, to coming back to what we discussed before, I think um, Karl May and his ideas um, and his images um, of, um, of Winnetou and his image of Winnetou and Old Shatterhand cannot be understood without considering the special context of Germany sure. around 1900. And I, also okay, the so impact like of these ideas cannot be understood without taking into account colonialism. But that's not philosophy. And that's what I'm saying. I'm saying these things need to be understood, but it's not philosophy. We, that's what we're talking about is a mixture of psychology, sociology, all these different things in which philosophers try to be hobbyists of. They don't really know much about sociology or psychology or biology, but they're like, I think thoughts are like this and they happen. And it's just like this weird, like, I think this, I don't care what they think in that way. And all these things are relevant, but not relevant to philosophy. They're relevant to sociology, they're relevant to peace studies, they're relevant to, to the logistics of creating societies and simple engineering. They're absolutely important, that context. But in terms of actual philosophy, it's holding us back. I think it's holding us back from making these, these jumps and these flips because we, we have all this sort of value systems of what is and what isn't, right? And so because we know we, we, we can't know what we don't know, right? It makes a lot of sense for us to take that idea and build it into that philosophical formula, which I'm hearing myself say that, and I don't know if that makes any sense or not, but I feel like this needs to be like, we need to get away from these like, these like mirrors of jumping off of what each other says. We're just getting down a deeper rabbit hole. I don't feel like there's anything really happening. I could take a hand of, I could take a handful of sand and I could throw it across the floor and say, oh, look at how, look at where every piece of sand, I just did that. That doesn't mean that it's, that it's said anything about how I moved my arm. It doesn't, it doesn't tell me that stuff. And I think when we look at philosophy, we need to question, we need to take a lot of things into consideration. And if we're not going to take in sociology, biology, our own personal biases and all these things, then we need to start discuss philosophy in the same way we would discuss math. What's one plus one? I don't care that Steve said one plus one is two or Mike said it or any of these things because they're independently true. But philosophy has this problem where it's, it's very much... 
this mixture of, I don't know, it seems like this, uh, the philosophy of the person writing, like they're giving us snapshots of how they see the world as opposed to trying to mobilize any sort of mechanisms or things that will help us achieve a higher moral zenith. It seems more like talking for the sake of talking. So we would need another session to discuss what <laughs> philosophy is. And so a part in me would like to agree with you, but I can't because look, you brought up Plato. Plato wrote the state, the Republic. And so he brought, brought so to bear, he, he brought to bear his um, thoughts on how he thinks society should look like and philosopher. So I would say philosophy is never only ideas. But it came from an internal view, though. Like, let's be honest, Plato's ideas. And I, I don't mean to cut you up, but I don't like no, the no, idea okay. of the saying, well, he told about society. But he didn't write about society in any other way than told what he thought in his yes. personal view. That's not philosophy. That's just the history of Plato. That's the history of his personal experience. I don't know that there's any efficacy in those ideas, especially when you tat them into people who are wiping their ass with rocks in the middle of the desert. I don't know that they... So Nietzsche says that this is philosophy, that philosophy is always also the memoir and of the, of the person who does philosophy, and that we can't distinguish our philosophical thought completely from the fallible and, um, and um, yeah, persons we are. And I like this concept of philosophy. I don't think that it should be completely subjectivist, but I, I think that, that um, one has to be aware, and I repeat myself, of mm -hmm. one's own limitations, especially when one is doing philosophy, because philosophy has indeed this seduction to believe that one can um, go higher mm -hmm. and abstract. And I'm, I'm skeptical about that. But again, we need another session to flesh this out. I would love to hear your thoughts on that, and I really do hope we get an opportunity to do that. Um, doctor, thank you so much uh, for coming in today and sharing your thoughts. I feel like we got a good, we got on the table what we want to discuss, but I would like to offer you to, uh, a chance to come back whenever we can. you have the time um, to discuss a little bit more about these ideas once we've had some time to let them settle. And maybe perhaps we'll get to the idea or the podcast about what philosophy is one day. But I'm sure that... Uh, that would be a long one and maybe not as much interest to anybody outside of ourselves. Um, I, I, again, thank you so much, Doctor, and I appreciate Is there anything you'd like to say to the to the Thank audience? you, Tim, for inviting me, and thank you for being such a great part of our department here at the university. Thank you, We're Doctor. happy to have you. Uh, I, and I, 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 I enjoy our conversations a lot, and I hope that I will learn more about um, you and your context and your, um, your community um, in the next years. And Again, thank you, Doctor. I know you got to get out of here. I'll let you scoot out here while I finish up this audio file. And thanks again. Thank you. Appreciate Bye. You. Well, I just listened to that back along with you. So it's almost like we get to react together. First off, I noticed that he said all those nice things about me. He's like, oh, welcome to the great addition to the philosophy department. And I felt like I was just saying, I said, I was like super appreciative of it, but I didn't say it. So, Doctor Doctor Johan, uh, thank you again for all the kind words that you said there. And uh, I'm sorry I'm not always a great interviewer. There, I get excited about things, and uh, sometimes it was funny there because it was like uh, I was saying something like sometimes philosophy is just talking for the sake of talking, and I'm like, damn it, that's what you're doing. So. It's interesting listening back to myself, and I can be pretty critical, and uh, 
you know, it's always been sort of a stream of consciousness podcast in the way that I don't want to plan what I'm saying too much or <clears throat> like maybe I'll like think of a general topic or something will inspire me. But for the most part, I want it to be always that radio sort of feel where it's just a stream of consciousness and, you know, a reaction to things. And that helps me too, really. I mean, I, I'm going to be more aware the next time I have someone on there when they're like, hey, thank you, and they compliment you. Just like maybe just say thank you. I mean, I could do that. Jesus, it's hard listening to yourself when you have a podcast. I mean, when it's just me, it's different because I'm like, ah, I don't know. I just talk shit for 20 minutes and, you know, I don't remember what to talk about anyway, so it'll be fine. When you have somebody else on there and you hear like little things where like, oh, I wish I would have said this differently or, oh man, I got excited and maybe like I talked over him here or like I didn't understand what he said. It can be frustrating. But man, is that guy ever smart anyways, right? I mean, it's fun uh, talking to people who are smarter than you or more well-read than you. But also, uh, you know, it's also, I, I mean, listening back to, to conversations sometimes, um, it, uh, it's pretty clear. Anyways, thank you for coming to the podcast. I won't keep it going any further. Uh, dang it. It's like I have this gap where I'm like trying to, it's like, okay, I'm going to end it. I'm thinking in my head as I'm talking, I'm like, okay, well maybe, you know, try to segue into something and I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I do the little bit of a segue and it's like, I want to have this extra middle part where I say something real cool, like, yeah, and you know, whatever, something cool, ha ha, you know, but I, I don't know, I, I, maybe that's the part I should plan, right? I should just have some like cool catch stuff phrases, like just all, you know, randomed out there on a paper in front of me so I can drop them. It's funny, I was reading this uh, stupid pamphlet I got through this stupid thing I'm doing. And uh, they have all these, uh, like when you want to start a conversation with somebody or whatever. And it's all just like, you know, techniques for uh, dealing with people. But it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're in a setting where you'll get one of those pamphlets. Or not a pamphlet, it's like a handout or something. I don't know. I don't know what I'm distracting. It doesn't matter. Uh, point is, is that they had, you could tell it was written in 1980 because of all the uh, terms they were using like for introductories. It was like, hey, sport. And hey, champ. And then it would have like another column of words that, you know, you're a real star. And just like these columns that you could mix and match to like create something out on the other end that sounded like a sentence to somebody. And I don't know, it's kind of like a little extreme. And honestly, it was so old the way it sounded. It was like, this sounds like a cliche little league coach. Like you can do it sport or whatever. Or like somebody that, you know, is going to try to lure you into a van, which I don't know. And sometimes maybe that's the same person. Christ, I watch too much true crime, which I don't anymore actually, because it's like, you gotta have a good diet for what you watch, man. And I just don't, like, I haven't, like, noticed, like, oh, man, I feel more murdery after watching all that true crime. It's more just, like, 
there's other things to pay attention to, right? And you kind of wonder, like, what the fuck is, what, what is so interesting about this, right? Like, am I imagining being murdered? Am I like, what am I, what's, what's the idea of this, you know, as South Park put it, murder porn, right? Well, I don't know. Like, it, sometimes uh, certain types of, you know, extreme human experience can be pretty interesting. And not just, like, you know, serial killers or whatever, which is one category of that, but other people who live, you know, eccentric lives off, maybe off the grid doing something weird or, like, you know, maybe somebody who lives, uh, I read some article about somebody who lives in, I think they live in 1955 or something like that, or, like, they, I shouldn't say they live in 1955, like, yeah, they just came here, man, they just told me they just came here from 1955, they're going back, no, like, uh, they, uh, their house, dude, dang, brain, not work today, their house and all their uh, fridge and all their clothes and all that, you know, they just pretend it's 1955 or whatever, and she's like dressing up in them poodle skirts or whatever and got the haircut, and uh, I, no I noticed that uh, the language of the article <laughs> was I believe that she was single, which I'm kind of uh, not surprised I guess I imagine that would be something that where she would want you to not only like think it's cool but also like jump in but also like be able to contribute financially to this hobby and want to right because this is all her 50s cool shit that she bought right you can't come in and just put on the, 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 the dumbass pencil tie and we get the get the the fucking flat top haircut, bush haircut. No brush haircut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say bush haircut. Maybe bush haircut. I don't know. But whatever. You can't just do that. You got to put in some shit. You gotta, you know, you gotta be out there contributing, buying a, buying this vintage, all this vintage shit. You gotta dress up for Instagram photos. I imagine that'd be a tough. Tough, tough horse. Like, why can't I find anybody to move into my 1950s place and pretend they're 1957 like me? Thought it'd be simple. And I bet she sees all, like, no cell phones in the house. I don't know why I think that. Maybe she's super dope and she's, like, just cool and has an aesthetic. Uh, like, a, you know, maybe she's just regular. But I feel like there's probably a line there. Like, she's got a vintage TV. Is she going to let you hook up your new Xbox to it? Probably not. She's probably going to be like, yo, take that shit down to the basement where I keep all the other stuff past 1962. Including you. I don't know. And, like, what about music, you know? Like, you know that she's, like, listening to some... I mean, Chuck Berry's cool, or whoever's in the 50s. I mean, I, I listen to music from all different types, but you know that she's just really feeling that vibe and shit. And she wears some big old underwears they probably did back in the day, too. It's pretty, I mean, shit, the shit when you see pictures of girls in brassieres or whatever the fuck it was back in the day, that shit didn't look comfortable, man. I don't know if it's comfortable now. I mean, I guess, uh, I mean, I, I don't think those things, women's clothes, ever really took the comfort of women into consideration. To be, to be frank. I mean, better than the Victorian days. Those fucking guys, right? I watched this video. I watched this video. And this girl was just showing what it was like to dress up in like 1890-something or whatever. And there's like a lot of layers. 
Like, all that shit where they talk about their underslips or whatever. They got, like, I would say from, I mean, five or six layers on in total by the time they have their outer skirt on. Outer skirt. I can't talk. But it's just one of those things where she put on, like, some shit. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, that's crazy. And I thought she was done. She's like, no, I put on another shell, like an inner shell. And I was like, holy shit, that must be hot. Just buttoning it all up, tying it up there because it's got the like a corset in it or whatever and it's like a kind of half dress corset but i thought maybe like that was it because it kind of looked like she pulled another little shirt over that and i was like oh okay that's but then she put on a whole another dress and i'm like how how i mean it's hot maybe it wasn't hot that maybe it wasn't as hot i mean but it was probably hot how can you i don't know man Shit, shit. I mean, the dudes didn't look that much more comfortable either, right? I mean, they, even, uh, you know, when you look at old pictures of those uh, settlers on the beach, huh? The Christian guys there, all fucking uh, dressed up like, uh, I mean, there's no analogy. I could be like, oh, dressed up like, uh, they kind of got like wrestler suits on, you know, like when you see like a wrestler's, what do you call that? A, I think it's called, it's probably not called a leotard. Mike's probably got some cool other wrestling name, like a, like a, you know, my grappling spandex. I don't fucking know, but it's, uh, you know, whatever it is, don't get mad wrestler fucking guys. I don't care if you do, but check this out. Whatever that is, it looks like that is what they were wearing for these like full things that they would go. And the women, they had the, they wore like almost like half the layers that look like through that video where they like they kind of thought they were done or whatever like they still had a full dress on to the heel or to like the ankles and you could tell that there was like a corset or something because they're like their hips were unnaturally wide to the ratio of their waist and they always had umbrellas and shit but they also had like a big head of hair like i don't know man if i'm a 19th century bitch i'm not going to the fucking beach man not if i'm like you know christian anyways and that shit i'm not like oh you know harold i really want to go down to the beach today make sure you put on your long white slip and your long white gown and your overgown and don't forget your shoes god forbid someone sees your ankles send you to hell fuck you harold i don't think she'd say that because harold would probably kill her and then you know bury her beside the dog and be like it'd probably be legal because history is fun which i was thinking about too i'm like what's the point of history man shit why are we carrying this shit forward well i mean i talk about this all the time like oh it's you know indigenous people let's carry things forward and you know and then i think like man what's the point of any of it we're just kind of limited but i don't know are we limited by our past i don't know maybe it's maybe we kind of build off each other maybe there's no way of getting about it because I guess people would, I guess there's not. Because if you didn't have that, right, and you grew up and you'd be like, well, what happened? They would just create history. Like, even if you took away everything that was there, you'd just maybe have some people making shit up and be like, well, you know, one time when I was a kid, my, my dad told me that, you know, it was the government who got rid of all the history and we used to have all these things and books and knowledge. And now, you know, like it would be something like that, right? That's what I think, right? It'd be hard to, like, you wouldn't want to, like, how do you stop?
culture, right? How well, not that you would want to, but how would you stop that passing on of knowledge, right? Like even if you like could agree that everybody would, okay, we should not keep this or we should keep that. No one's gonna agree that what you should keep and what you should discard. So, I mean, they may be like, okay, yeah, sure, but they'll still teach their kids that, right? I mean, even in the best scenario, I mean, where they're like just kind of going with the with the flow and don't want any sort of social repercussions. So they like, yeah, I also believe that's a good idea. But in the privacy of their home, they're like, you know, those, those fucking Indians, right? I don't know. It's not that like, I think uh, like when I, even when I hear myself say, Oh, you know, what's the point of hearing having philosophical context. Right. And then everybody's just like, you know, what are you talking about? Right. Obviously, we need to know that Plato said this. We need to know the context of what he said. But then I say, like, why, though? I don't know. It's just like history that's mixed with the, the, the mechanics of, of philosophy. And it's not to say, like, like, even when I'm listing myself talk there in, in what I was saying, I was like kind of disagreeing with what I was saying. But I like how I said some things because I don't necessarily think I said them the right way. And that's a con that's a consequence of not planning things out. Right. You're just kind of like using whatever words pop up in your old brain at the moment to try and get your argument forward. But I don't know that uh, I did a good job exactly explaining what I meant there. And it's not that. Uh, I mean, Dr. Johan had some, uh, or Johans, Johannes, Johan, sorry, sorry, dude. He had some great points about, the, you know, having, you know, the context and being a reflection. But I don't, I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know what it seems like to me. It seems like there's something extra in these things that doesn't need to be carried forward. Like we were, he was talking about slavery and he's like, oh, we need to sort of know about ABC. And I'm like, but, but, but do we though? I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't even know what I'm saying. I think this is like a half. I feel like I my, I have a sense of something deeper that I can't really put my finger on. And when I'm trying to explain it, it's just coming out kind of wrong. Cause I don't know. Like the math example, I guess, is maybe closer where I'm saying, you know, in, in abstraction, right? Like we talked about where it's like, do I need to know that Steve came up with, you know, the concept of addition or division? Or do I need to know Steve's political alignment or that Steve believed this and that math was a way that, like, I don't know the history or he came up with division because, you know, he was whatever. And this is like... you math is super old there's no history that's like that it's not tied back to somebody i mean you can tie back like math to certain certain like uh, formulas to certain people but there's always been like it's a function of being a human it's just survival and knowing what you have the resources but again it it seems like i don't know i, I just keep saying it seems like but there's something else amiss there's something amiss yeah I need to understand what it is. I don't know. I don't know if it's important or not. And maybe there's nothing here. I don't know. Fuck, man. I, I can't figure this out in the podcast as I'm talking right now. I think there'll be a lot of, like, 30-second, 45-second pauses. And I might not even say anything 
because that's how it works. I'll just go. Da -da -da -da. And then 45 seconds. I want You know, I won't. Oh, it won't be fun for you guys to listen to here. Um, especially when there's no there's no certainty that we'll get out to somewhere on the other side. But I enjoy the questions. I was actually thinking about a weird question the other day, which is, I don't know, maybe it's not a weird question, but I thought about, okay, was as we, you know, this isn't, I'm not necessarily, I'm not really a religious person in any way. I don't believe that there's any one religion that knows what happened. I don't believe we have any concept of what that could be. Or human brains, I don't think we have any under understanding of what, you know, that entity would be if it so existed. But then I think to myself, if it so existed, there was some sentient, omnipotent, right? Which is like a fancy word for just God, right? Somebody who's just infinitely, you know, some infinite power and it was sentient, right? Like an aware, self-aware. With that self-awareness, would it not, it, God, whatever, he, she, would it not question its own existence? And if it did, and if it did, right? What, what? What answers does would God have, right? Does God know where he came from? Was there is there a multiple sort of division of gods where he is sort of like there's some like celestial sort of not 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 procreation but sort of not celestial. What the fuck? Divine? I don't know. Whatever it is, like where'd God come from? Did God have God parents? I don't know. God mom, God dad, you gotta grow up to be a good God, not like your brother, the devil. Fucking scumbag, stole $20 out of God mom's purse. Went and bought drugs. Huh? Doing drugs, divine drugs, spirit drugs. I'm a spirit addict to drugs. I want spirit cocaine, spirit marijuana. Give me spirit drunk and I don't freaking wanna. Stop. Spirit time. Okay, well, that was that. I did that. That happened. What was I talking about? Yeah, well, anyways, yeah, it'd be weird. I don't know. Does God wonder? Does God wonder where he comes from, man? And that question is probably more rooted in my human sort of you know, my structure of brain that can't imagine doesn't know what it doesn't know. And I'm thinking, well, with this other sentient being, who's, it must also question his existence. Like, why am I doing, like, would he ever, or she ever wonder, like, why am I doing this? And perhaps it was like, maybe it's some sort of thing where it's just like, you know, we're just trapped in this dimension of time. And, you know, that sentient infinite power is not. And so... Much like a book, right, where it's closed and there's an entire story on that, right? But in the book in itself is just on your desk, right? It can be moved, it can be thrown, it can flip through the pages really fast. You can put your hand on one and both ends between the story. It's just whatever. But when you start opening the, opening the book and going through the story, that's kind of where time happens, right? It's the only way to experience it. So maybe it's like that. I don't know. Oi, oi, oi. That's my uh, Mexican accent. Thank you very much. I will have another podcast for you at the end of December. Hopefully not that long. Actually, I'm trying to get Cuz back on this ship here. And uh, I actually want him to have a... I don't want him to have... They, Dr. Johan... Uh, and 
Cuz, who was on episode two and seven. I'm good with small names. See? Cuz, oh, that's fine. The guy's professor, uh, this professor who I, who is a friend, by the way, and I like very much. I, uh, had lots of opportunities. I've heard his name a bunch of times. It just doesn't stick with me, and I'm sorry. It's me. It's not you. I am operating on a much lower tier of intelligence than most people. So, you have to forgive me. I'm trying to get old Cuz back. I'm going to have some conversations, and, and Cuz wants to... Uh, he's met Cuz, actually. We, we Johan was, uh, come, came out to the powwow there, and uh, he was one of the first ones there that, that was like, oh, man, he, took, he jumped at the opportunity. And so I was super excited to take him out there, and he, he, had, he had a great time there. And... Uh, uh, I got a, he got to meet Cuz as well, and they had some conversations there. And I think, um, yeah, I think they both had a had a pretty good conversation because uh, they said they wanted to speak again. And I, I I asked them to maybe do it on the podcast if that was all right, and they agreed. So it's just about coordinating times right now. But that's one we're trying to get get done next here. So we'll see what happens. Listen, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. This is this. This was a long one. So thank you. Appreciate you hanging in there. And uh, watch out for the lavender lights. Peace. What you've just heard was Speaking Ball. Thank you for your time and patience, dearest friends. Meet Witch.